Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined as I am every week by my co-host, media executive Grail Hallett, an OTV producer and Syria ah, snob, the man who thinks brand muffins are too moist. I don't even know what that means. Sam Griswold, <laughs> today on a very special OTV. Uh, I love what sitcoms used to do that, on a very special Full House. Uh, but today is special because we're... Uh, we're going to uh, talk to, uh, well, we'll talk, of course, about the U.S. men's national team's win last night after scaring the shit out of us in the opening moments of the game to ultimately come back, beat Costa Rica 2-1. Like, I needed more gray hair. My God, failure is not an option, gentlemen. But on today's show, we have rounded up a couple of goalkeepers. We call them the three keepers. Three guys uh, have all played college ball, uh, have all coached, uh, some played in the, in the professional levels. Just going to get their thoughts on, on goalkeeping. We have Greg Kenny, who many of you are familiar with, as we've had him on the show before, Brad Mastrangelo and uh, Craig Murphy. Those uh, Brad and Craig are two guys that um, I've worked with professionally as a stand-up comic. So they're both headliners across the country. So, uh, But they're goalies and uh, they're, they're fans, and uh, they've always got some interesting things to say. So we'll have them coming up in just a little bit. So, uh, so you know, we want to talk about guys with the goalkeepers in the modern game, how the goalkeeping has changed. And, and then last night in Costa Rica, you know, Taylor Nevas is, is injured. Does that make a difference? Uh, we, we pulled Matt Turner. He seemed to be the starter. And then put in Zach Steffen. So lots of changes, lots of things to talk about. But before we do, uh, guys, what do we owe today on Over the Ball? Sam? Yeah, I'm over something not related to the national team, but uh, I'm going to okay. go with college soccer. Uh, I was just looking at some of the results from the past couple of weeks, and I just I just think it's ridiculous that, um, you know, these college soccer conferences have to follow essentially the blueprints laid out by the basketball and football powers that be. Um, it just is insane to me that you have teams traveling as far as they do for conference games uh, when there's very comparable schools, you know, right nearby that they could play. You know, we talk a lot about how these teams don't have time to recover, to train, you know, they have to jam a season in, they're missing class, they don't have time to study. And yet we're, you know, shipping them halfway across the country because of some, you know, basically TV contract that a football team signed. Uh, I, I just think we could break away a little bit like they do in college hockey and make it easier for everyone. You know, I tweeted out, guys, that there was a lot of concern about the national team players playing three games in such a short period of time, which we always did in college. These are full-time professional players with full-time trainers and uh, you know support staff, and they're concerned about their ability to play three games in a single week, right? And yet college, nobody quite cares because, again, the NCAA, I'm a broken record. They just, you know, we've made them not care. Even talking to, to uh, uh, Hank Steinbrusher, you know, these maybe everybody's just too happy to have a job on the college level and they don't want to be a squeaky wheel. So um, I hope they go to the to the um, split season and maybe that would change that. Um, so we'll see. Uh, what are you over, Grail? Uh, I'm over Greg Burhalter. Um, oh, we'll were you ever with them? No, no we're, we've broken up officially. Uh, no, so we'll get more into this. But I the lineup changes. The thing that drove me absolutely crazy was in the Panama match deciding not not to start Pepe after he scored in the previous two matches. We finally found our number nine, and all of a sudden he's not playing in a game that was to be had down in Panama. He puts out, he trots out a team that was inferior to the team we had been playing as some kind of rest option. And again, our best goal scorer in the last two games is sitting on the bench until he comes on in like the 67th minute. It's just mind boggling to me. And I just, again, I think Burhalter is way in over his head. I, I disagree only because I think this team has the ability to play really well. And they have at times, I think they just need to string it along a little better. I think they were hamstrung. Uh, I think Burhalter got cocky and decided to replace seven players, which is absurd. Uh, you can rotate maybe two or three players from basically your starting lineup. You're in a tournament. I want to play every game if I'm in a tournament. And then you, you rest later. But uh, yeah, you rotate two or three guys in. But seven, I think he was sort of saying, look, we have so much depth and I can rotate these guys easily in and out that we'll be so fresh for the Costa Rica game. And we all know from playing this game, not at that level, obviously, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. Soccer, just a one bad back pass or whatever. And I feel like he took his foot off the accelerator by well, taking seven the, guys the out. Thing. 
We yeah, finally and, found a guy who can score. The oh, I don't know about that. Gra- like Grail, the elusive number nine, and we take him out of the game. We don't start. You got to give this guy confidence. Keep him in there and let him get more and more comfortable, and he will reward you. I just it made no sense to me. All right, well, two things there. One, yeah. I think you know he scored two goals, but you know three goals, two games. I think he great won the game. Just let me finish. Love the way he plays, um, but. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I think he should have started. I believe he should have, and Taylor should have started, and uh, we should have had our players in there. And then you replace them in the second half, maybe if you're up a goal or two with some fresh legs. I can't believe he made seven changes. It was foolish. I hope he's learned his lesson from that because every time we seem to play well, uh, we make a just a we we take two steps back. So I think I am encouraged that the way they play at times. That goal last night with 18 different players were involved, or 18 different passes, and then. Uh, for a goal that's great but making seven changes you know who that reminded me of boys the Jurgen Klinsmann days where everybody was like what the fuck where am I playing who and what you know you get familiar with your teammates so um, I actually thought Klinsmann had much more of a presence than Burhalter. Burhalter to me seems so out of his league really all right well, yeah I don't think you, you really haven't been with him since the beginning but his winning percentage no I was actually with good. him you know over the summer when they were you know but but again let's we got to start sticking to a lineup we got to start doing that well you know and obviously there are uh COVID uh injuries uh, international players domestic players uh it's it's quite a bunch to to sort of uh quite a jumble of players to sort of yeah, I, I'm a little bit play. torn on this. Sorry to jump in because I yeah. think I don't think there's really an identity to this team. I mean, Berhalt has been there for a while now, and I still have no idea what the team is going to look like, both in terms of personnel and how they're going to set up and how they're going to play. I don't think there's really been any consistency there yet. I also think that can be a real advantage because I think playing in CONCACAF where, you know, you have to be willing to not have the ball all the time sometimes and then have the ball all the time when teams are just completely bunkering down and you have to wear a lot of different hats, you know, let alone then go in to try and play in a world cup. So I right. do think that that versatility is a good thing, but I, I think a lot of fans are a little impatient that there's not really a sort of personality to this team yet. And I agree, uh, Grail, that, Berhalter himself doesn't exactly exude a lot of personality. So it's hard to sort of see what he's done to the team. Yeah. And I, at least I thought the lineup last night was, you know, certainly closer to where we need to be because it was like the lineup like two games ago. But the thing that just drives me crazy, was like, we almost just conceded the Panama game before it even started by making all those changes. I was like, put some distance between the other teams, put your best team out there and put the throttle down and create some distance. Don't go down there timid and say, oh, maybe we can try to win this with some inexperienced guys. It just made no sense. Well, part of the, the, the qualifying process is to go away and come back with a point, which I yes. don't think United States fans kind of appreciate that mentality. It did not seem like he was doing that. Um, I think with these teams, you know, first of all, I have complaints about the way just Panama, the country ran that, that game, all the sort of Sunday league bullshit stuff that was happening in the last 30 minutes, you, you got CONCACAF. It's like the players all kept falling down, um, you know, p- being carted off. Then they were fine. And then you have the, the ball boys kicking the balls into the stands. So there's no ball there. Like that's amateur bullshit. And that those ball boys should be fired. Whoever supervises them should be fired. It's like you, you, they should be fined as a country, their, their team. I mean, it was like, and then, seven minutes of injury time. And after he, they announced seven minutes of injury time, uh, three or four guys go down. Referee points to his watch a couple of times saying you can waste all the time you want, but I'm going to add it on. Well, at 6.59, he called the game. So it was just sort of like, that's when I get frustrated about the go, the key, the uh, referee keeps it on the field, the time when, yeah, it's at his discretion. And he just was like going to let it go. So I thought, uh, not that the U.S. was actually threatening in those closing moments. They were so ineffective against Panama. It was, uh. it was, it was hard to watch. I said, uh, if ulcers were still around, every U.S. national team fan would have one watching that game. But uh, so they come back yesterday against Costa Rica. Good 2-1 uh, win. Um, good enough, I guess. I would love to have seen them bury them. And that's, that was an old team. Um you know, Brian, Brian Ruiz. Ruiz, my God, I'm faster him. than he is. Well, but he's 38 years old. He's still playing. He was a, he was a great player, but um, he, he was on that breakaway and oh. uh, they, he got, you know, just sprinted. To Robin, Robinson, I think caught up with him and yeah. he had a 25 yard start. 
that was amazing to watch. That <laughs> was, was incredible. Like, <laughs> that was so Sunday league stuff. But, oh. you know, how about that start, guys, where uh, it looked like everybody thought that they were offsides? I did not know that rule. Sagino Dest went off the pitch uh, across the end line, and they said that counts as being on the end line. So the goal was not offsides. It was actually a goal. Yeah. Um, Clattenburg, I that was Clattenburg interesting. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought if a player was off the field, he's off the field. He doesn't, you know. Plattenberg said it's a good goal, and then mm-hmm. Burhalter at halftime made a big deal of the fact that it was offside, but it was not offside. So it, it appeared to be. So I understand. Once Plattenberg said that, I was like, "Oh God, that's the rule." God, I, yeah. well, I didn't know that. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. obviously Burhalter didn't know that uh, either. Um, tough if you're trying to build some confidence for your goalkeeper, Zach Steffen. He plays at Man City or doesn't play at Man City, as it were, um, which is quite uh, something to have on your resume. But he got scored on in just that the opening opening minutes there. So uh, and it I don't wasn't know what that you know did for just, his confidence. Just, yeah, just funny. It wasn't really because the the what I've uh, heard is it wasn't because Turner didn't play solidly in Panama. It's because Burhalter wanted to keep kind of Stefan engaged yeah. in the whole process. And again, I was just thinking like kind of I, I kind of get that, but honestly, at this stage of the game. Turner is your guy. Yeah. Go with the guy. Right. Uh, you got to, I mean, I think goalkeeping and we'll ask the keepers when they come on, yeah. but basically uh, you know, you got to play a player out of position, play him to win his position from him uh, or whether with goalkeepers with injury or whatever it is, but you just wait for your chance because I think more than a field player, a goalkeeper is a, is a real streak player when he's on a hot streak, keep him in you know? Yeah. And, and they didn't do that. So, so that, that desk thunderbolt goal, which was just a, a, wow. a, an incredible shot. That was the first goal that we've scored in the first half in nine matches, mm-hmm. which yeah. again speaks to a bit of the issue that we're having in the first half. We got to get off to a better start. And I, I think you mentioned it with the Panama game, yeah. just a sense of urgency, a yeah. sense of, you know, we cannot fail here and we have to impose our will on these other teams. And I think this, this young team I like, they're, they're, uh, they're young. You can tell they like each other. They enjoy playing with each other. Um, there's a casualness sometimes with even when they control the ball uh, that to not get forward. You know, even Pepe, when he scored two goals, we barely saw him in the first half. Yeah. Uh, even though he was working hard off the ball, they weren't getting anything through the midfield. So, um, yeah, the one the one thing we are still suffering with, I think, is we get really good uh, penetration down the flanks and then the services are just not good. And Pepe is really good in the air. So it's really critical that we get good crosses in there. there. And I just felt like we get to that spot and just hit a bad cross. Like we did it a lot last night. Well, Areola was supposed to start. He was a late scratch. Uh, And then I guess Timothy Weah came in uh, and was played instead. We looked very fast. I tell you this one, the one player is really standing out to me, obviously Dest, uh, a bit of a liability defensively because they got countered on a a little bit. I think that's something we have to watch out for, but um, uh, the young kid from Philadelphia, I'm just blanking on his name. Aronson. Adams. Uh, no, Aronson. Aronson and Adams. Adams is solid. But yeah. what I like about Aronson is uh, more than solid. He's a leader. He's yeah. an incredible athlete, uh, makes good decisions on and off the ball. Uh, he really keeps it going and keeps it together back there. I think he's I think he's a linchpin to anything that mm-hmm. Burhalter does moving forward. But Aronson, he's sort of that harassing defender. The guy's up front. He's up front, but he's harassing balls coming out of the back. He made a lot of trouble for people. And he also is very positive. He goes forward and he's got a nice cocky confidence on the ball that I like a bit of a swing and dick. So it's like, yeah, his touch uh, was was a little clanky last night. He let, he was getting the ball a little bit ahead of him. We, we, I I thought a lot of the guys on the team, actually, I thought our touch was just a little bit off, which again, just keep kept Costa Rica in the match. At this no. level, that, yeah. that costs you. I'll tell you one thing I was impressed with, guys, was the stadium and the atmosphere. It Beautiful. just seemed fantastic, didn't it? Yeah. So if we, if we give up a chance like the one we gave up to Brian Ruiz, though, against Mexico, that is a goal. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. One of my concerns is, you know, defending. They are so dynamic. These are These are good players. I think... Zimmerman played really well when he played and I think he's obviously an option in the center of the pitch there because I think positionally he uh he does not uh he reads things quite well does not get caught out of position I mean look the pressure is Berhalter staying these guys let's get you know the outside backs up and forward you Mm -hmm. know Anthony Robinson had you know some great success in this uh these qualifiers getting forward getting the ball up there seems to be part of the modern game but 
when there's confusion with the center backs about, you know, when, when a, the forward is sort of taking you to each sides of the field and it, they got caught a couple of mm -hmm. times and they were flat in the back. And uh, that Brian Ruiz one, oh my God, all of our hearts were in our throats. You, are you kidding me? He was so, so uh, open. I couldn't even, I mean, it was a really bad square ball, right? That led to it just past midfield. Right. That was the one that got intercepted. But uh, yeah, I, I do have to mention one thing Sebastian Salazar said, which I just found like, this was like a 12 year old suddenly got on the broadcast. They were talking about, you know, this was yeah, versus, 12. So this result versus Panama. And he said, um, he said, guys, do you think we owe Greg Berhalter an apology? for getting on him about the result in Canada because they ended up squeaking through and winning this game. Maybe there was a method to his madness. I'm like, no, we don't owe the coach an apology. What are you talking about? He changed seven players and it, and it failed in Panama. He should be critiqued for that. Yeah, Just an odd statement. Sure. I, I, it's tough. Uh, it's tough to watch someone learn on air, especially when he, it seems like he should be doing local news somewhere or, you know, doing the union Philly union or something. I don't know. I've never been a fan. He did the Spanish shit again last night to me. And it's like, you know, just absurd, you know, it really is. Uh, but I hate, I'm a broken record as far as that's concerned. Yes, Sam, what do you got? Are. So, well, I, I do have another comment on the team in general, but I, I watched yeah. uh, part of the game on, um, I think it was Unimas last night, the uh, Spanish language mm -hmm. broadcast, um, which I like to do because I'm trying to learn Spanish and I think it's a good way to do that. Uh, and I wonder what your take on this would be, Kevin, because the announcers there are clearly bilingual. So when they pronounce American players' names, they pronounce them perfectly. And it can be quite jarring at times because you're listening to Spanish and then all of a sudden uh, it's like Robinson. Miles Robinson and it's perfect. <laughs> and it sounds almost dubbed in. So I wonder what your take, I mean, should they be saying, like, should they say Los Angeles galaxy or should they say Los Angeles galaxy? I don't know. I mean, uh, does geez, it go both ways? Serious? And an American broadcast. I mean, is that even a question? And I tell you what, every soccer coach I've had, whether you know, the, the hundreds I've had, you know, Spanish or, or Portuguese or, or Brazilian, no one said my name correctly. No yeah. one. Kevin, yeah. Kevin, Kevin, I was Kevin's with an S at the end all the time. So I'm basically <laughs> saying if you're bilingual and you mm -hmm. can speak both languages, when you're speaking to an American speaking English speaking audience, speak English. When mm -hmm. you're speaking to a Spanish speaking audience, speak Spanish. And so you don't say Mexico. You say Mexico. It's very simple. And the same theory is, I go back to the second, it's not Paris Saint-Germain. It's Paris, you know, Paris Saint-Germain. So it's like, I, I don't know why it is. Like, it's almost like, uh, it's so self-conscious that it takes, I get all, look, all my friends who are not soccer people cannot stand it. Uh, mm -hmm. They're like, what is he showing off? What is he trying? I'm like, yeah, he is kind of showing off a little bit to say, uh, you know, so it's a, one of my friends, uh, father's friend, his name is um, George Alvarez. But when he's in, in Mexico, he's Jorge oh, yes. Alvarez, right? So it's sort of like George Alvarez is here. No, my name is Jorge Alvarez. It's like, okay, so I, I would stop my coach and say, I'm not Kevin's. I'm not Kevin's. I'm Kevin. Okay. Well, I'm not Kevin's. I'm Kevin. And uh, in this woke PC culture, I'm sure <laughs> that'll go over lady. well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, hey, uh, by, by, by the way, that I, that uh, with the no VAR, I thought that we came very close to dodging a bullet in that 36 minute with that penalty when the guy was taken down. And I thought he got to the ball. It was very close, though. Very. Close. I don't know how the he actually got his foot, his shin hit the ball. So I think it doesn't have to just be your foot. So I, I disagreed with Taylor. By the way. Yeah. Taylor, uh, I knew we would show. get to him <laughs> with Taylor. He's been on the show. We love Taylor. And, you know, we went at the, the uh, media guys, which look, they're not above uh, criticism either. Um, they really aren't. Um, but it just sort of hit me last night too. It's just too much. He talks too much. It's also and hyper. It's also hyperbolic. I mean, it's some of the it's statements just, are like, it's the end of the world or something. But I'm also trying to say, that I'm trying to watch the fucking game. Watch it with me. <laughs> Point out stuff that that we see. I like I love the guy Jim, whatever, on the Premier League games. He just he just pipes in with his his knowledge of the game right. and what happened there. Not yeah. these theories, theoretical things, and and the, and it goes on for two minutes. And I just don't know. You know, he's with the champion, and so who's who's really by the, the way, best right now? What's by that? the way, I have to give John Champion props because he gave Taylor some gr some grief. He was talking about his number of appearances against Costa Rica because they were talking about 
Casey had had nine and Jermaine Jones had, and he said, right. and, and he goes, I believe, uh, he goes, I, I believe Taylor, you had one. And then he went out and gave him another jab and there was just silence. Taylor had nothing to come back. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to say because John gave it to him. I thought it was fantastic. Look, I think part of what, you know, Taylor had a career on the uprise and then with the concussions, it didn't quite happen for him. He was supposed to go to the Bundesliga or something. So obviously he will have some regrets as a player. I think one thing that happens is, you know, Graham Lasso and, and the guys on NBC, great players at a really high level for a really long time. And yet they're self-deprecating about themselves yeah. and they, they constantly minimize how good they were. Stevie Nichol used to do the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. like defender of the year for Liverpool and he's making fun of himself. I think once you take that job as an analyst, you're not a player anymore. You're, you know, you're over the hill, you're out and the ego's got to go away. In fact, you got to almost like stand up comedy. You got to bust your own chops. And that threw Taylor big time. I yeah. thought about it. And John, John gave him like three or four chances to respond. And Taylor just didn't know what to say. John also did something really, really good at halftime. They interviewed Burhalter, and Burhalter was crowing about how that goal was offside. The goal they get let up in the first yeah. minute. And they cut back and John Champion said, to be fair to the audience, we do need to let you know that that goal actually was onside. And he corrected him and didn't let him get away with it because that's very misleading. Now the audience would have thought, oh my God, we got robbed. Well, that, that's journalism, first of yeah. all. And that's yeah. John Champion. That's why he's yeah. such a pro and so excellent. He, he is really the top one uh, in my list right here. Um, but Grail, what you're not sort of giving Berhalter his due in the sense that when we heard Clattenburg tell us that rule, I was, I was like, wow, I thought he was offsides. I would have, as a defender, gotten off the pitch to make that player offsides, and it wouldn't have been offside. So I didn't know that. So obviously, Berhalter didn't know that because that's sort of a real, you know, a real uh, outlier that happened there. So I think once he got into the locker room, someone said, no, when Dest goes over the line, he is still in the field of play on the line. It made him onside. So, um, but I think that was just good, solid journalism. Yeah, but I just think most managers would have said, you know, I didn't really have a good look at it, and we'll take a look at it at halftime. And he got. Oh yeah, you think Pep would have done that? Pep or uh, no? They usually do say. I oh, no, they go it. crazy. Yeah, everybody, every game. As I say to people, everybody's not happy with a penalty kick. Did you see? Um, who's that player? The Greek player who confronted Mo Salah coming off the field when he got a penalty kick, and finally Van Dyke got in between him and was like, "Shut the fuck up, move on, man. What are you doing yeah. talking to my player?" Yeah. like that so no, no one's ever happy about it well we do we do okay. have to get var in the qualifying though i mean that's right. that would right. just take all guesswork out of it and well i wish taylor would mention that in. you know oh yeah because he hasn't <laughs> mentioned that at all that's right yeah and what do you got anything else so well, the, the point i wanted to make on the team with the uh the sort of abundance of players we have right now i think there's this sort of general feeling kind of in u.s soccer but maybe in burhalter's Ber head that it's, it would be like a shame to waste a guy like Zach Steffen because it's so kind of new to the U.S. to have so many good players, if that makes sense, right? Right. It's like, well, three yeah. years ago, like X player would have been number one no matter what. But now we're sort of in this new phase where there's competition for spots. So I think it's a little bit of a maturity process and getting used to that and saying like, no, we have to be professional here. Like if we have a number one goalie, they're the number one goalie. We're not doing it just to make us feel better because of historical trends kind of thing. Right. So you that's, know, uh, that's my point. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, yeah. Sam, you could speak to, you know, we've talked about it before. Like, basically I feel like this is the first time in our history that we have a huge player pool that we can't quite keep up with all of them and where they're playing and who they are mm -hmm. and who's hitting for them. It reminds me of, you know, the Italian national team, which would be like the guys they didn't take, would be like, mm -hmm. oh, you got to be kidding me. They, they would be a World Cup contending team, you know, but they start a different 11. So as a coach, mm -hmm. what do you, you know, how do you make those decisions? You start saying, they're all great players. I want to take who's in form right yeah. now. In yeah, but, it, current but, it, but at some point, I do think once you arrive at something that you haven't had before, like Matt Turner or Pepe or whatever, solidify that. Don't yes. keep trying. Don't keep shopping. You don't need to shop. We found a guy who can go score goals. Put Pepe up top. You found your best goalie. Put manager, and then work around that. If there's some question marks, right. then you can fill in those spots. But start really solidifying yeah. the team now. 
So big matchup against Mexico in a month. Oh, so uh, that is going to be absolutely huge. Cincinnati. I heard the Cincinnati stadium is absolutely beautiful. So uh, I love the fact that we uh, are starting to get some really great stadiums, some tradition. There was some, cause there was a lot of Costa Rican fans there uh, last night, which I guess is good. They're on one end of the pitch and, but mostly American fans. So oh, yeah. what I'm always annoyed at is when the United States plays in the United States against Mexico, it seems like there's more Mexican fans than there are U S fans. So I think well, that's um, why they're not, we're going to play these in LA again. I mean, they're right. going to avoid LA. But even Columbus, even yeah. Columbus, it would be like, I, so I don't know how the ticket distribution goes, but it seems like as soon as it opens up, it's sold out with Mexican fans, you know, doing it. Yeah. So, and the Mexican team plays here more than in Mexico because they make more money. So, all right, guys. So good stuff to review that game. Uh, we got through this cycle, uh, not as best as we could expect, but um, yeah. we did all right. We did okay. Mm-hmm. I'd give it a, an eight, a seven or eight out of 10 with one setback and, Speaking of seven, seven substitutions in one game. That's uh, or seven. I'm going to give it a six. Six. All right, yeah. Sam, what do you give it? You know, I think a six is fair. I mean, second place in qualifying, yeah. three points behind Mexico. I mean, that's not bad, but you know, that's where they not should great. be. Yeah. All right. So we got three uh, nut job goalkeepers coming up. We're going to talk about the position, how it's changed, what the changes they want to make. And what their thoughts are on the U.S. men's national team's uh, current goalkeeping situation. You're listening to Over the Ball. We'll be back right after this. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball. This is a little different for us, folks. Uh, we got three keepers, three goalkeepers uh, that we've brought on. A lot of uh, a lot of things changing in the goalkeeping position, so we thought we'd have these guys on to basically shoot the shit. Uh, all three have played in college. Uh, Craig Murphy at LaSalle College played a little premier indoor, um, and, and now he's goalkeeper coach. Uh, he's also a nationally known stand-up comedian, as is Brad Mastrangelo, who played a full four years of college uh, for Hudson and also Bridgewater State. Uh, now he's doing a lot of cruise ships, aren't you, Brad? I think so. Uh, which is where the work yeah. is, and of course, our freaking guest on over the ball. He's a standout player at Penn State, went on to play for Walter Barr and uh, and uh, and the professional in college rank. So, hey guys, welcome to over the ball. How are you? Hello, I am good. Hey, uh, so first, uh, Greg Kenny, just give our listeners just a little roundup of what your background is and uh, sort of what your philosophy is uh, these days in the keeper position. Well, it's actually interesting. I'm coaching a women's college team as well as a men's college team, uh, NYU and St. Francis. And, uh, you know, it's still the same. You start with a zero. You want to end with a zero. Um, Trying to implement everyone wants their goalkeeper to play out of the back. But especially with less experienced goalkeepers, it seems like it just leads to a nightmare. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's... uh, Goalkeeping is goalkeeping, and um, that's what I do. Keep it simple, look, stupid. Look, when we played, I I was a sweeper in front of you, right? And so over the course of the years, you know, the Olympic development team, and then all of a sudden the, the sweeper position has been basically nullified, and it's now falls to the goalkeeper. So um, so Murphy, Craig Murphy, uh, welcome to OTB. Tell us a little about yourself, other than the introduction I gave you. I know you through our stand-up comedy, but we always talk soccer as well. Uh, what are your thoughts these days? Uh, so yeah, uh, goalkeeper coach for 10 years through several different colleges. And, uh, kind of like what Greg said, you know, you see a guy like Neuer playing out of the back and he's the best probably in the world in this college is to think that everyone's going to be at that skill level. And in like a hockey, uh, reference, no one's going to be Martin Brodeur playing the puck behind the net as well. So you can run into some serious problems. And, uh, technically my other problem is I'm kind of like a dinosaur and, um, techniques that are being taught now, you know, one-on-ones, I see goalies stopping, putting their knee on the ground and, and trying to get big with height instead of waiting for the player to push it forward and then getting lateral to the ground. And I see, I don't see anyone doing that anymore. And uh, I think I'm kind of like the dinosaur when it comes to that philosophy. Well, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, goalkeepers have this philosophy that they just watch everything and they see everything yes. sort of form. But I think more than anything, the goalkeeper position has changed. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the goalkeeper. And I think, uh, you know, Matt Turner had a problem actually kind of distributing against Panama and and he got pulled. So uh, Brad, four-time college keeper, also stand-up comic. You know, it's so funny. We try to combine these things sometimes, but goalkeepers take their goalkeeping shit seriously. So (laughs) you guys are all, it's nice to have so many guys in the same club here uh, today. But what are your thoughts, Brad, on keeping it late? I'm amazed at how much has changed. I mean, I remember back in the ancient days, I think we were allowed three steps, and then you had to kick the ball, distribute the ball. 
And now it's it's they're like another player now. To me, it's the, the skills that they've developed as far as play is, is amazing to watch. But I think one big thing is a lot of them more uh, – we used to be taught more to, to grab the ball, try to hold on and control the ball. Now it's a lot more punching, a lot more just getting out of it. But So it, it, to me, watching it, it's pretty interesting how it's changed so much over the years. That's interesting. Uh, plus, with your Boston accent, I used to – at UMass, all the uh, – my goalkeeper yelling at me, get goal side. You're too far. Flynn, you're yeah. too far, far. Get back. I love when goalkeepers <laughs> yell at the center midfield to, to run more. It's always a fun thing. It's a shut up. <laughs> <laughs> they yell too much goalies if there's a mistake if there's a goal score it's never their fault I mean you know take, take you, you suck take it you lost the ball they all yell at everyone else too much love well I, I think goalkeepers uh, I like when they get mad when they let a goal in they just don't want to see the ball go in the back of the net even right. in practice so it's just a, it's a psychological thing but you know you bring up a good point here the ability to play with your feet uh, I, I couldn't imagine playing sweeper in college without a goalkeeper behind me. It was just so intricate with each other that there's a lot of pressure when that ball goes to your foot uh, and there's nothing but net behind you and you're the keeper and you got to distribute. So I think the skill set and the athleticism and the soccer sense has to, has to be a lot more developed. And I always think about like the Dutch, you got to play total football in the sense that, you know, Neuer played a ton of uh, soccer out in the field. Um, you know, uh, so do you change the way you coach these young players now, Greg, Kenny? Well, I think we've talked about this before. Goalkeepers think they have good feet relative to goalkeepers. Goalkeepers have shitty feet. You go on the field and I go on and play six aside. Never is any team saying, oh, let me pick the goalkeeper first. You, I, my feet are not bad relative to goalkeepers. My feet relative to field players stink. So right. my feeling is, I think the thing we are missing is uh, we touched on the rule where you used to have distributed in three steps. Yeah. My feeling is that what the next level that the goalkeeper could punish is I grab a cross four yards out and I sprint 15 yards with the ball in my hand, run past seven or eight players and then put the ball on the ground and make an easy pass that plays seven players out of the field. I do not, even Manuel Neuer, even any of these guys, I do not want them to be making any difficult decision with the ball at their feet. I promise you, I am better than anyone on my team. If we had to play basketball, I'd be fine. If I'm allowed to run past people with the ball in my hand, I'll be fine. Catch across, the goalkeeper's trait should be to sprint forward, play seven people behind you, roll the ball, and now make, a, make an inside of the foot pass to the first open player you see. So gain your 12 yards, by eliminating players, not by being another. I would go the other way. I'd put a I'd put a good soccer player in goal if you want your goalkeeper to play with his feet. The, the skills of a goalkeeper are far easier to accomplish, especially in the United States where you have kids who grow up playing baseball, basketball. Um, yeah, better. I know it's on. contrary to everyone, but well, you know, you see that more than I never saw that really. Uh, the, the quick release by the keeper where he runs past people. I think, you know, during the eighties and nineties, uh, especially it seemed to be that Dino Zoff hold the ball, take the air out of it, stand there. You know, it just was like watching paint dry. It was horrible. Um, do you think it's about Craig Murphy? You think it's about distribution or, or, or just, do you, it's almost like having another field player and you, you have numbers up if you have a keeper who can play with his ball, uh, play the ball with yeah. his feet. Well, like Greg said, um, Brad played with the three, four step rule. College, we had the you could play within five seconds. So we had a built-in play in college that when I would grab a cross, I am doing that. I'm running up to the top of the box and I'm hitting a drop kick to start a breakaway, and right. it worked. So the forward knew spring as soon as I get the ball, and then we try to we try to punt one in over over the top. But when it comes to playing in the back sweeper keeper, I mean they should only be required to play a flat ball to the other side of the field just to a vehicle to switch the field. It shouldn't be something like, you know, beat the, beat the forward and then hit one up field, you know? So yeah. the way I felt the best, the best drill for goalkeepers is three V five with the field players where it's one, two touch. And all you're doing is playing the ball on the ground, simple passes. And when in trouble, just get it up and out. Put it in the stand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like there's a, a negative view of just putting a boot through the ball uh, now 
it's yeah. really sort of frowned upon and you know possession is a big key but even possession sometimes you, you, you dominate possession you still don't win because you get beat on a counter like you were talking about Murph where you just you know you get caught on a counter yeah. and it, it almost happened to the United States last night against Costa Rica guys uh it was basically they were dominating after they got off to a shitty start and uh, but they looked kind of a little scary on the counter getting countered on thank god they have we have some you know blazing speed athletes back there but you know that that was making up for their lack of um of positioning um so guys uh grail what do you got for the guys hey guys great having you uh joining us I- i'm j- i'm just curious um since Kevin referenced last night the goalkeeper change, this was actually going to be my one of my questions before that happened. Uh, don't you think it would be an advantage actually for the U.S. team if um, Berhalter picked his number one? I mean, if he basically said Matt Turner is my guy, just from a kind of solidifying the process standpoint, getting everybody kind of on board with that decision. It just feels odd to me that now we're going back and forth at this stage. Just curious from your perspective, the advantage to knowing you're the guy and also your teammates knowing that you're the guy. I think it's huge. Yeah. Any one of you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's huge, especially on that level. You know, you, you know, you got enough to think about and if, and if you know, if you're not sure that you're the guy, and now you're on the field and you have that in the back of your head and you're thinking, oh, if I make a mistake, this guy's coming in. Uh, I think that plays a big role. Uh, I don't care what level you're at, but especially at that level, you know. Let me ask you, because we have three of you guys on, three keepers on. But look, it seems like the rotation of players, which basically blew up in Burhalter's face uh, in Panama, I mean, seven changes to the starting lineup when you're in a tournament, uh, basically, was a big mistake. It was almost like he was showing off with the depth that he had and how he used all these different players and kept them fresh. But you know, as a player, uh, as a field player anyway, I want to be playing, especially if my team's playing, I want in. I don't, I, the rhythms change, things happen, and I want to be part of that. Maybe make one or two changes to the starting lineup, but not seven. A keeper is a completely different situation because he's a leader. He's got to have that confidence uh, between the pipes. And I think a goalkeeper doesn't have to be rotated due to physical limitations of playing too many games generally. Right. I mean, three games in a week, I think a keeper can do. Yeah. Uh, but it's, we're talking about the headspace that you guys are in. I think it, it's important for a goalkeeper to know that he's the starting keeper. And I think what's unfortunate about what happened to uh, Matt Turner was that everybody struggled against uh, against Panama. Everybody. And there was a bit really bad feeling in everybody's mouths, the fans, the players, everything. And then he gets pulled. And I think you might have kind of screwed with his sort of uh, confidence. Greg Kenny, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting because you're spot on. If, if your goalkeeper can't play a number of games in a, a row, what, how unfit do you have to be that you can't play goalkeeper? You should be able to play five games in goal in a day. Uh, yeah. Field players, you may have to, you know, plan some rest in. But the psychology of the goalkeeping unit, it's very different. If you know there's a starter and I am one injury away from playing – that's much different than the psychology of one decision away. Okay. So I'm backing up Kevin, for example. Okay. When we're in training, Kevin's the number one. I'm serving the ball appropriately. I'm making sure I don't injure him. Da, 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 I think. So I know my role. If I am not sure how the decision is going to be made, now I'm battling with you every day, every day, every day. I want to change his mind. That's that's not a healthy that's not a healthy goalkeeping environment. I need to be able to, so Kevin is our starter. Okay. Bang. This is your role. Now I also have to know that I'm going to go in on short notice. I now have to psychologically be mentally prepared to know I may go in, in 30 seconds. So I prepare mentally different. You have to know that one bad goal in training is not going to cost you your start. Um, You know, I I I always feel like, you know, I feel like goalkeeping, goalkeeping position is so unique in the sense that if you watch goalkeepers when they come off the pitch they go to the other goalkeeper yeah because you guys have this club where you just you need to talk to each other to see to suss out what happened and so there's this unique partnership that happens with keepers uh this like i said this exclusive club where you're you want to start in front of this player but you're also practicing with each other keeping each other sharp you're waiting for your chance um you know so you're You've got to be the friend, the coach, the helper, and uh, his competitor as well. So it's it's very unique. Um, Sam, you have a question for the guys? 
Uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw a couple ideas for new rules at you guys. I'm happy to hear oh, hockey. Keepers are always good with those. I was happy to hear hockey uh-huh. come up a couple times already. So I think we're in the right realm. But uh, so in both soccer and hockey, which are the only two sports I follow with goalkeepers, um, the talk sort of within the sport at large seems to always be about increasing scoring, um, whether that's, you know, making pads smaller, balls harder to catch, goals bigger, et cetera. And I'm curious if you guys ever get sick of hearing about this um, or if you see it as kind of a fun evolving challenge. Um, and if in general, you guys are also into that. Uh, a great, uh, let's say, uh, Brad, why don't you start with that one? Yeah, I mean, look, at that, the bottom line is it's they want to make money and to have a good product, you want it to be exciting. And exciting means goals. And that's what's going to be, no matter what you know, you're talking about. But I think it's also an opportunity to, to for goals to shine too, looking at it that way. You know, it's more, they want it easier to score on you. And uh, it's a big challenge to you. And you can make yourself, uh, you can bring yourself up a level too. So I, I think it's good. I have no problem with it. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's all about goals, I guess. But those of us who know the game and have played it can sit and watch a zero-zero tie and and enjoy oh, yeah. it. We yeah, really absolutely. can. And I think, I think it's the sort of casual fan who says mm-hmm. there has to be more goal scoring. Where it got, you know, a goal, one nil. It's euphoric. It's amazing. And you know, so I, I think, uh, you know, I've been talking to some, not talking, but viewing some Twitter stuff and stuff on Facebook. It's absolutely absurd, the stupid shit that people say. And I guess this is part of the growth of soccer. You know, we have a lot of fans now who don't really didn't come up with the game and are just sort of viewing it now, you know, coming in at 22 years old and, and they're, you know, having their opinions in this woke generation, you know, since something, there was a serious discussion that I had all I could do to not get involved in yes, yesterday on Facebook, where a woman said, I, I, I'm honestly wanting to pose this question. Would the U.S. women beat the men? It seems like they probably would. And some person's oh, like, boy. not sure. And you're like, you got to be shitting me. It's unbelievable. First of all, they have very little competition, but, uh, y- you know, you got to be kidding me. I think the women's national team got beat by a 14-year-old men's team in uh, or boys team in in Dallas. Uh, Absolutely. A couple years back, right? What was it, Greg? I, mean, I want to jump on this hockey thing because it hits right at home with Okay, me. yeah, shoot. Um, so I'm on, I'm on the opposite. I think hockey, uh, there are two things in hockey that need to be adopted in soccer. One is the 18 box should be one reason you have an 18 box. It's where the goalkeeper can use his hands. Just because a foul happens in the 18 or a handball happens in the 18, I would like discretion from the referee to actually look at, was this a goal-scoring opportunity? Was the guy peeling away from net going away from the goal and got tripped? And now we give a penalty kick, and that game could be over. I think there should be some discretion, like a penalty shot in, in the NHL. Was this really a goal-scoring situation? And I'm so sick of seeing random handballs at the top of the box that were going out of bounds, and they're pointing at the spot. And right. so that's one one of my hockey things. And the other thing is a no-brainer. I forget what game it happened in. But a penalty shot in the run of play, goalkeeper saves it. That's a dead ball mm-hmm. right there. It was a goalkeeper save, and the, and the guy, that, guy that saved it puts it in, and the goalie's on his ass. Yeah. Uh, implement the NHL rule where it's a dead ball going out, free kick coming out. And it, it, I don't know why that hasn't changed over the years. It's so hard to save a penalty kick. And don't let me now have to beat the, the guy's already at 12 when everyone's at the 18. Of course, he's going to get to the rebound first. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's that's very frustrating. And nothing frustrates a goalkeeper more than that. Uh, well, Grail, both Grail and Sam are both big hockey people. So, uh, Grail, what do you think of that? I think it's a great idea. I love it. Um, I, I, I have one other question for you guys. It's more just kind of str- strategic. And, and Grail and... doesn't take changes easily. Grail does not like changes. No, I, no, I, no. The first no, positive I, one I, I've seen him accept. I, I've never, I've never felt that's fair to the keeper. Once you've made the save, you've made the save and that should be the end of it. I'm just curious from your perspective, guys, uh, organizationally at the back, would you prefer three at the back or four at the back, just in terms of managing the guys in front of you? Why don't you, uh, well, Brad, why don't you go with that? Yeah, any of you guys. I, I like three. I think three is good. I think if you get three good guys and you can work together, I think four can get a little crowded back there. So I, I'm on for three. Yeah. Greg, Kenny? Um, really, the only one that I generally worried about was the, we call it the stopper. We have the two center backs. If they're out of position, you got big problems. It's generally that holding center midfielder that I felt – 
was the one who would wander and meander all over the place that you'd have to say, uh, uh, where are you going? Then the eighth guy in the penalty area is not going to make any difference. Yeah. Um, this, is our, this was our relationship on the field. I think, he, I think he's throwing a shot at me, guys. Murph, what do you <laughs> where think? Where are you going, Did, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, it was for nine <laughs> years. You're not going to score now. Uh, so. Trying to score. I'm trying to, trying to score, but enough, enough about what I was trying to do in the bar. Uh, Murphy, what, what do you got? What do you, what's your most comfortable thing back there? Uh, so uh, I was always nervous about a flat back four. Now you're relying on you know them them being cohesively aligned, so there's no offsides um, sneaking in. And when I was assistant coach doing high school, there's a two ref system in high school. One guy has one half, one guy has the other. There's no linesman, so we would I would feel more comfortable with a sweeper because now you're relying on a guy to be in position to call an offsides who's 30 yards upfield. So I think it's situational. You know, as you get older, um, I, I, just younger, I always like the sweeper. As a goalkeeper, I always like a sweeper, but I understand that the game's moving forward with a flat back. So it's funny, you know, when I was hurt, I well, I went back when I came back, I played sweeper. But what was interesting about playing sweeper is you really are partnering up with your goalkeeper. You know, you're Absolutely. listening to him, you're 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 communicating everything in front of you, and you're also, if you ever played out of the back, it was to the sweeper generally. You know, you you'd, you'd buy him five ten yards as you moved wide, and then knocked it back to him so we could get you know the guy wasn't right on your back moving forward. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just quickly, guys, I'm also I'm, I'm interested in those responses because a lot of people would think that uh, more is more. But actually, in your case, is less is more. You'd rather have fewer guys to manage back there and just have more organization than have the extra guy, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah just too many. I think too, too many people, too many things can go wrong. My, that's just my opinion when you're back there. If you have three, you get more room to look, to see, to see everything coming in and it gives yourself um, more space and more time. That uh, last night when they thought there was a, a penalty, I thought the player got in front of the ball, the U.S. player, uh, and then the, the guy fell over him. But it was so damn crowded. Uh, the the defender, it, it was actually like the defenders got back. Everybody got goal side, but things were so crowded. The goalkeeper couldn't see it. Was like, it was like pandemonium in there. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, you have a question? Yeah, I wanted to throw another potential rule change at you. This one from basketball. And uh, again, in the interest of, you know, kind of making the game more attacking, I've heard thrown out the idea uh, of like a backcourt violation for soccer, where essentially once you cross midfield, you couldn't go back, which would obviously kind of redirect the, uh, the sort of function of the goalie in a lot of ways. I feel like in in my college, anyway, it felt like we had that rule, but um, wasn't actually <laughs> a rule. Um, so I'm curious uh, what you guys think. Uh, well, who would like to take that first? We'll, we'll tell who. Okay, Greg Kenny, go ahead. Shoot. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. I, I haven't thought of the impact of that. Um, teams that play, you know, some teams are pretty quick. You know, we loved Spain for 12 years, and I thought they were the most boring attacking team. They'd win the ball back, and then they'd have 65 passes and one attack, and it was a beautiful attack. But I was like, you don't need that much backwards stuff. Um I don't know how that would look because I've never implemented, but it sounds like something that's at least worth looking at. Um, the yeah. uh, the other thing to, to back up towards the uh, the communication with your players in the back is one of the things with regard to communication is with the young goalkeepers that I work with, they'll be in the back and they'll, and they'll move laterally and they won't tell anybody. So yep. Kevin has the ball and I drift 14 yards to my left to put myself in a better position. And I forget to tell him Kevin turns around and he's looking for the goalkeeper and can't find him. That type of communication happens over time where you just, yeah, Hey, Kevin, I'm drifting over here. We always think of the communication as the panicked communication that the goalkeeper don't let him shoot. Don't let him shoot. Win it, win it. You know, yeah, yeah. most of the communication you see these old goalkeepers play is all they're saying is no, 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 no. Where are you going? Stay here. Center midfielder drop and, and you know, and, and calling keeper when they're going to get the ball. But their communication is more subtle than, you know, even a high school kid calls keeper when the ball comes in. Might call it a little late, but they know to do that. It seems now, uh, I think a lot of the communication, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, with your observations, but it's the center backs, like the Van Dykes seem to be dictating a lot of the defensive alignments because people are coming out of the back. But also that, that you know, only to halfway thing, if you look at when you can really spread a team out, you need both sides of the pitch to basically do that. I know um, that U.S. goal uh, last night with Timothy Weah, I think he got on the end of it, that started deep, deep on our own 
you know, uh, third and they worked it all the way across and, and, and it was a goal. It was really beautiful. I guess it was 18 passes that the wow. guys strung together. It shows you what this team's actually capable of if, uh, if, if things are, are played right. Murph, what are your ideas on that? Uh, so I was just thinking to myself on that basketball uh, idea. It, it sounds like it would work, but I think what you could lead to it is it would be like a lacrosse situation eventually mm -hmm. where the defense wouldn't even cross half field. So now you're dealing with like an attack. So there'd only be attack because once the ball is won, there's a whole half a field that's empty if your defenders are, are above the half. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. there'd, there'd be fast breaks and you'd, you'd break down. So I feel like the safe rule would be all four defenders would never cross half out of fear mm -hmm. of, of yeah. possession loss. And uh, I have another rule on that same thing to increase scoring is get rid of throw-ins. They're useless. Uh, <laughs> just play like like a 6v6. Everything's played in on your foot from the sideline. You want to play it short? Play it short. Or if you're down a goal and it goes out of bounds, now that ball can go to goal on a, on a, free, on a, on a driven mm -hmm. kick instead of just a short little throw-in that goes to someone's feet for possession. So I think that would increase offense and make it, you know, with two minutes left, now a throw-in is essentially a corner kick. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was read an article. I guess Liverpool was one of the first teams to have a throw-in coach. The guy actually coached <laughs> throw-ins on what should be selected, and they've obviously they, well, they've had some uh, some success. I guess they're because look, all of us when there was a throw-in, how often did we work on some sort of set piece or or movement or idea and what you're supposed to do when you get the ball? I mean, even it almost becomes like basketball. You're trying to run like a, an offense to try and get free yeah. to get open. Uh, and then you, you, used have a, you used to have a long throwing guy in college right. when he had mm -hmm. 20 yards to run up to the line. We're pl they're playing in stadiums where they can barely, you know, they're touching the wall when it goes right. out of bounds. You're not getting a long throw. Everything is short to feet. So make it make it be able to, at least professionally, drive a ball in, in or, or play it flat, whatever you want to do. My old line mate was Nick O'Shea, and he used to be able to do those flip throws that, you know, yeah. would, would go across the whole box. And so only problem was we were playing indoors. So I'm like, Nick, uh, there, goes that, that, there goes that quality. Uh, we, <laughs> Brad, what do you got? Anything over, for us? My over 50 league I play, there's a guy, and he still does it, Kevin. Flip flows. He throws this thing so so far. It's it's it's. I throw it out of bounds just to give him a throw to watch him. It's fantastic. <laughs> and one other thing, I just want to mention. Greg had said keeper, keeper. I want to go on record right now. Is I still call gold. That's how old the nation I. My over fifty team. I yelled gold, and they looked at me like I had three heads. They go, why don't you say keeper? I go because I don't like the way it sounds. I brought up saying goalie, and I play and I say goalie every goddamn time. <laughs> I say I say left inner. That's what I played. I played left inner. That's how far back I go. No, we I, could go many ways with that, Kev, but we're not going to. All right, guys. So uh, we're glad we have you here. I'm uh, I'm glad. To, you know, like I said, I always roomed with the goalkeepers. And I don't know what that said about me because you're all nut jobs. But it was, uh, you know, in the room with all the um, mushrooms growing on the goalie pants and all the dirt and stuff. Oh, uh, the glove so smell. The glove smell is the best. The smell, oh, the smell, yeah. <laughs> I hate it. I don't know what that said about me. Yeah, just throw Flynn in with the goalkeepers. Uh, do you have anything uh, quickly that you want to get off your chest before we wrap it up here? Greg Kenny. Yeah, the one thing, uh, and this has been recently uh, be in my bonnet, is what if you moved uh, corner kicks out to the 18-yard line? Still on the sideline, but 18 yards, because so many corner kicks are – there, there's just there's just not a natural flow to the runs. The ball's coming from a 90 degree angle. If you boom corner kick, it goes out to the top of the 18. Now you can hook balls in. Now you can put things okay. in behind the defense. It would still look more like so. I hate the throw and it drives me crazy when we, we play some teams that have a narrow field and they basically try and get throw ins, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically, you know, a lot of guys don't throw the ball in properly. I mean, a lot yeah. of, uh, if you think about it, yeah. and I think there's no way Grail will go for that corner kick idea uh, to move it to the 18. He's a, sorry, he's a I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you on some things, Greg. I'm not with you on this on one. That one. He, he drew the line there on the line. So Murph, what do you got? What's, what's your closing thought? <laughs> Two things that pissed me off that are, no, that are now new is the goal kick now is play to possession to somebody near you. Yeah. If they had that when I played, I would not look as much of a pussy as I did because I couldn't hit a goal kick. I couldn't get it to half field. So <laughs> it pisses me off that they have the easy way out now. But you were you were uh, a smaller keeper, so you were more yeah. effective indoors, right? So the quick, oh, yeah. the quickness, <laughs> yeah, low, oh know? yeah. Because an indoor keeper is uh, that six five stuff in indoors. Yeah, they are. The, the indoor keepers are even crazier than the outdoor I, keepers. I, but 
but I said, I like, still hear from college friends that like I had to take your goal kicks, and there's nothing more <laughs> emasculating than a goalkeeper sitting there while some other guy hits your goal kick for you. It, it really sucks. Like you said, they rarely take those long ones anymore. Uh, some people. No, that that's all whole, quite short. Yeah, that was their whole offense. So, uh, Brad, I just think that if a goalie saves a goal kick, we should get half a point. <laughs> Goalkeepers are coming up with conspiracy theorists now. Yeah, I'm just saying, if they, that's a hard thing to do, and if you save it, they should stop the game, and we get a half a point. And I mean, I know I don't know with that, but I'm going to write some letters. That's I just thought of that sitting here. Oh, I love that Boston accent. That's, that's <laughs> I know you do. Don't ever you talk to me because you hear me talk. Otherwise, you can't stand me. All right, well, guys, I always love talking to the goalies, my old roommates and friends. Uh, you guys always uh, always have, you know, it's so funny. You sit there and you watch everybody playing, and I think what happens is your mind drifts and you just come up with all these crazy, funky ideas. <laughs> and I love talking to goalkeepers uh, and love talking to you guys today. Uh, Greg Kenny, uh, Craig Murphy, and Brad Mastrangelo, three keepers on one show. Who's doing that, folks, where the ball is? We'll talk to you next time, guys, on OTP. Well, enjoy talking to those goalkeepers. It's funny, like as soon as we get off the air, all you guys start to talk about is hockey. It's amazing. They're huge <laughs> hockey fans in yes. Boston from the Bobby Orr days, I guess. But uh, I think there's a, you know, you're talking angles and all the stuff the keepers, you know, talk. Uh, you guys are big hockey fans and there's a lot of parallels between the two sports, I guess, in lots of ways. But it was great talking to those guys. Yeah, and I definitely agreed with the idea about once you save a penalty kick, the ball's dead. I've always thought that that was weird that you could follow up and kick it in. Uh, I'm not, I'm not with uh, Greg Kenny. I'm not on board with moving the corners out to the 18 yard box or whatever that was. That was one of the less crazy ideas that Kenny's come up with over the last couple <laughs> like, of years. Not quite ready for that one yet. Sam, yeah. did you get along with goalkeepers when you were a player or um, did they yeah. yell at you? No, I roomed, I roomed with one at UMass for sure. Um, I, I really like the idea of uh, the goalie box either being, like reshaped, made a little bit smaller or the discretion call on a scoring opportunity for mm -hmm. a penalty kick. I think that would be great. I mean, to me that I wouldn't mind the, the play stopping after a save, but to me, I just think there need to be less penalty kicks in general. And especially like, uh, like Greg said, when, you know, guys are going away from goal in the very corner of the box, or it's not even close to a scoring opportunity. I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah so maybe make it smaller. Um, yeah, and I think I agree with the dead ball situation because there's nothing more frustrating for a keeper to save a PK and then, you know, somebody drills it home uh, right behind. Yeah, and I did think it know. was interesting that they opted for three in the back instead of four. I, I, I right. thought they might do that, but a lot of people would say, why wouldn't you want the extra defender? But it's actually because it's too congested. Well, I think there's communication between the two central defenders that breaks down sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't know what your role is in a certain situation and you get exposed, which is what happened last night. That if there's anything, one of the criticisms I'd have about last night's performance by the national team was those two center backs, you know, fit, athletic, doing it well, but they got caught out of position a couple of times yeah. and it seemed to be lack of communication. And that's that was with four in the back. So I, I love the keeper. I, I've always loved keepers that talk a lot behind me, where if I'm playing stop or whatever, just talk all the time in direct traffic. I think it's so helpful. It's, and coaching young kids, you know, for many years, which I did, it's really hard to just get field players and goalies to communicate. That's such a hard part of the game. Like in England, where I grew up playing, it's just you're expected to talk all the time. But over yeah, here, but, you it know, was the, very difficult. The goalkeeper, it's it's like I was saying, like you know, Van Dyke in the communication with the the, the back four or or three, it's it's really them because the yeah. keep the keeper is way behind you and he does not see what you see. Um, but he's playing this, out in the box. He's playing higher up too. Remember, higher up the out of the box, playing yeah. in the well, they all are. yard box, so they're actually closer. But and and, and I don't mean yelling because yelling is not helpful, but directing I think is very helpful for defenders. So, uh, but good stuff. It was good to talk to them and good to get those ideas. Uh, Sam, what do you got for us this week? Anything? Uh, I do have a quiz, but I think Grail first wanted to touch on the Nations League, right? Before we, yeah, yeah, just really quickly. I mean, I thought again, I just stumbled upon this tournament. Sam reminded me that it was uh, rescheduled from the spring, and uh, France, as has been their want in the tournament, went down one nil, um, and um, to Spain, uh, yeah. who's been playing great, and then they came back and they won two one, and I'm just. I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that France may not play as beautifully as all of us would want them to based on their talent, but they have a way of getting it done and they're resilient. And, uh, you know, again, as the champions of the world cup, I think they're the team to beat going into the next world cup. Yeah. 
but fan. Spain, but Spain, I'm really impressed with. I think they are on the ascent again, which is well, there's a I new generation of Spanish yeah. players. Yeah, we I'm, rode that that old team hard. Yeah, what do yeah. you think, Sam? Oh, I thought Spain were maybe the best team at the Euro. To be honest, yeah. I mean, I thought yeah. Italy were really lucky to get past them, so it doesn't surprise me that they're they were in the final. And yeah, I think France have reverted a little bit to uh, to playing that kind of 2018 World Cup style, which was yeah. not the most fun to watch. Less possession, but getting it done. Yeah, they get it, done. Get it they, done. They could be playing so much more pretty, to be honest with you, but they've just decided not to. So yeah, well, they they've been wallowing a bit uh, the yeah. last couple of years. So um, and as those players aged, and it's tough to replace uh, Javi's and Ianistas. So. Um, so, but they're always, they're always fun to watch it guys. If you were actually, I think I've asked you this before, but if you were a kid and your parents could move you anywhere to any country to learn how to play the game, which country would you go to as a little kid, the Dutch, the Spanish, uh, you know, well, I can't say England. Cause that would be, I did that. So I'd, I'd say Spain. I'd love to go to Spain actually. Maybe that's an overall life decision, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I said Spain when you asked before, and I think yeah. I'd stick with that. I just think the players, I, I, the technique they have, I think exports really well. I mean, you see Spanish players doing well in every every league. I mean, French players too, to be fair. But yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I'd go for the Spanish. Something about the, the, the flair, uh, the defending abilities of the Italians is pretty impressive. Like uh, mm-hmm. I heard a couple of pros talking, and they asked who they're who was the most difficult person to ever play against? Uh, and this was strikers. And they all said Paolo Maldini. They said it, it was, he knew what they were going to do before they did it. He angled them off completely. He said that, that he said he didn't even have to make plays a lot of times because he took the angle away. He took the passing lane away. He said, they said it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and he played till he was how old? Sam. Right till his late 30s, I want to say yeah. 35 or 36. Uh, and he was still playing well. Verify that. You know? Yeah. Oh, he was yeah, still definitely. playing well. He, he yeah. could have kept going on. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I always thought about that. Where And I think Spain would be the place I would go to as well because of the weather and just uh, the whole the uh, life. Barcelona. Living in Barcelona would just be yeah, spectacular. It would be nice. <laughs> yeah. it? So, all right. What do you got for us, Sam? Yeah, so this is my one quiz question for the day. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned this, or you sort of referenced it a little bit earlier. So I, I'm hoping, as again, I was on the Spanish language broadcast. I'm hoping this didn't make it into the broadcast last night. But see, 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 see. anyway, uh, after last night's victory, uh, Burhalter now has a record of 28 wins, seven losses, and five draws. That's across competitive and non-competitive matches. Okay. Uh, and that's good for a winning percentage of 76.25%. So where does that rank him all time? among u.s national team coaches men's with at least 10 appearances i'd say third yeah same i'm going to say third okay number one and in fact it's regardless of any appearances that's Grail the best winning percentage there goes each your each your burr well no but a lot of those are friendly i mean yeah it's dude, true. we they're, don't have any friendlies we don't have any friendly a lot of a lot of powder puffs in there it's funny well, we're not talking the women's national team, dude. We're talking the, the men's. No, we've had, we've we've played some pretty meek teams along Ooh, the way. You called Wales a powder puff team on this. Well, show. they didn't have three of their best players when we played. And neither them. did we. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't beat them either. And we didn't beat no, them either. It's like I can't yeah. believe you know, Wales is a powder puff team. Are you kidding me? No, well, I didn't. And Wales was not the one I zoned in on. And who the, else did we play uh, out of our region? Um, Switzerland? Did we play? I, I can't. I can't. I, remember, I can't. Remember. Yeah. All, all, all I'm saying is it's 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 not totally indicative of the talent we've been put up against. Wait, but it just speaks to me sometimes of like when I talk to people who don't know the game, not present yeah. company excluded, obviously, but it's sort of, you know, them saying how great the women are. I'm like, they're playing Thailand and Haiti. You know, the women don't even play there. So yeah. when you play Costa Rica, their best 11 athletes in the country are on that pitch yeah. basically Look, I, a small country you know so i will be no the first for us. i will be the first to applaud berhalter i will mm-hmm. if we qualify and we were competitive in the world cup there is no shortage of talent okay we have no mm-hmm. we, we all agree on that so we if we have a good coach he should be able to harness the talent and make us competitive hey you know who i didn't mention in this whole broadcast but who just really impressed me last night was musa my god <laughs> His ability, he was good. Yeah, Muska. I mean, to get to to get some space to hold the ball, to break lines. I uh, I was quite impressed. He is going to be a big part of this national team moving forward. I guarantee it. Well, we, we had ten changes for this. So you said we had seven for the Panama. We had ten changes for this game. We got much more of the core back. The core back. You got to have yeah. the core. That's the way. That, the core. It's got to be played. And, and Adams always has to start. 
I mean, yeah, it amazing. always has to start. Yeah, and and Salazar doesn't have to start. I think to apologize <laughs> to Greg Berhalter is uh, is absurd. This that's your job is to. He looks like he's very intimidated by Casey and by Jermaine Jones. He just I looks, would be too. I would yeah. be too. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Oh, I just wanted to th- I just wanted to throw these names yeah. out for comparison because just okay. to sort of understand where Berhalter's record fits in the greater scheme of things. So yeah. number two on this list with more than ten appearances is Bruce Arena. 81 yeah. wins, 32 losses, 35 draws. That's set, uh, 66.5%. So Berhalter has almost, a, no, has a, exactly a 10% better winning percentage, which is pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, Klinsman comes in at number three. He's at 64.29%. And then Bradley is at four with 61.25. So, you know, yeah. Klinsman won the games that we didn't really need and lost the ones we really needed. It was, uh, yeah, no, it's not, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect metric. And, and, and arena but... started, it started out like a house on fire in a positive way and then just totally fell apart towards yeah. the end. I mean, but we dug him quite a hole or Klinsman yeah. did or the U S yeah. team did. I thought he was going to be number one. That would have been my prediction. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, he's a winner everywhere he's yeah. gone. And, uh, and Bradley, a good coach, I think, you know, mm-hmm. It just uh, you're not supposed to be the national coach for that long, really. This Even Mexico game is gonna, at, th- yeah. This Mexico game guy is gonna be very talented. This That's, is the game. This yes. is our World Cup, right? Yes, here. exactly. So, um, so yeah, if you're out there, all four of our listeners, please buy tickets to that game. Get to Cincinnati, support the U.S. team, uh, and let's make it a home game like it's supposed to be. Is uh, Azteca is not very forgiving. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Anything else before we get going here? No. Yeah, good to go. Good stuff. All right, I'm on the road doing Fear Heights on uh, in your home turf this week, uh, Sam. I'm in Martha's Vineyard at the Vineyard nice. Playhouse, so right. I open up tonight. And uh, my go to opening, Kevin's show. It's called Fear of Heights. My opening chunk is all about Sam and Grail and our work that we do here <laughs> oh, on each week. <laughs> no, it's about my, my grandfather uh, and father. So it's uh, it's going over really well. So good. Uh, and it's uh in the boston comedy festival november 13th i think so uh i'm psyched about that all right boys that's all the time we have today I'd like to thank our guests uh, the three keepers that we had on what do they have like the was it the three tenors three amigos <laughs> three amigos <laughs> well we've got three keepers uh they all had great different opinions and all good guys uh, greg kenny brad mistrangelo and craig murphy thanks uh, to them for coming on the show for sam griswold and grail hallett i'm kevin flynn and we'll talk to you next time go usa